Hey, thanks for tuning in to this podcast. We would love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. We encourage you to send us your story by visiting our new website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. Thank you, Amanda, for the beautiful song and illustration for this morning's message. For the younger people in the room, that is the it is well they know. Now, how many people who are just a little older than the younger people know there's an actual hymn? Yeah, the real version called it as well. Uh, (laughs) That's awesome, the real version, I like that. If I may, and you, because you may not know, a lot of times we, we're impacted by music, we're impacted by songs, but we don't necessarily know the well from which that song was drawn out of. And so if I may this morning, I would like to introduce you just for a moment uh, to Horatio Spafford, the songwriter. Imagine, if you will, uh, everything in your life is coming up roses. You've married your soulmate, uh, you have five beautiful children, your businesses are flourishing, and your career is booming. Do you think in that kind of situation you could say, it is well with my soul, it is well with my bank account, it is well with my children, it is well with my marriage. But now imagine if all of that is taken away. See, it's just you now and your grief-stricken wife nursing brokenheartedness. Would it be easy as then to sing it is well with my soul? How many of you guys think you, that if I lost it all, I might have a more difficult time singing it is well? See, joy is an interesting thing and so is happiness. Happiness is based on my circumstances. Joy is not based on my circumstances at all. Joy is based on my position with the Lord. And whether I have much or I have little, my joy cannot be removed unless my position with Jesus is removed. But since he paid it all for me, my position is secure. You see, Horatio Spafford placed his trust in God during his life and his life's prosperity. But he was a devout Christian who immersed himself in the scriptures and in Christian service. And after many years of being a prominent Chicago lawyer and his businesses flourished, uh, his wife and beautiful daughters and son, all these things are going good for him. But then something totally changed. His son became really ill and died. Then there was the great Chicago fire. And all of his real estate was burned to the ground. After the loss of the son and the pressures of having your your. Your, your livelihood literally burned to the ground. The feelings and the, the, the heartache were overwhelming. And so Horatio decided to do something. He decided to send his family to Europe for a bit of a vacation. Now, the vacation was not just to enjoy the sights and the sounds. They were actually going over with a man some of you may have heard of, of D.L. Moody. And they were going to do some uh, cr- uh, crusade stuff over there. They were excited. They needed a break. But a few days after sending his family off to Europe, he received a telegram. And the telegram read, Saved alone, what shall I do? You see, the ship with his four beautiful daughters had sunk. 
and all four of his beautiful daughters died. Only his wife survived. And she wrote the telegram, saved alone, what shall I do? Now any husband who loves his wife at all is destroyed in trying to get to her as fast as he could. And he did. He got on the next steamer to go. And as he was en route, the ship's captain said to him, this is the place where the collision happened and the ship sank. And it was in that place, at that moment, he penned the words to the song, It Is Well. It's a different story and a different song now, isn't it? He starts the song, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Can you imagine? I love my kids. I can't even begin to imagine what I would be feeling at that spot. But he writes, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's incredibly encouraging to think of of those uplifting words born out of such unimaginable pain and suffering. Pardon me, I cry a lot. But it's an example of truly inspired trusting and believing in the Lord. And it goes to show the power of God to take the darkest, most horrible moments in our lives and bring grace and hope to others. I don't know about you, but I've sung that song in church. And when I sang it, I thought about all my issues and my problems. I thought all the things I was facing. And I sang that with such a, which was such a courage and almost like with a declaration of God, it doesn't matter. It is well with my soul. And I sang that passionately for a long time, having no idea the actual story behind it until recently. See, the life of freedom and faith or the, yeah, the life of uh, freedom in our faith does not make sense to those who are not living for the Lord. To the world, it makes no sense. It's upside down and backwards. Have you ever had someone be like, that doesn't make any sense? Like, oh yeah, trust in God, pray. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. But for us, it makes total sense because our, where our trust is placed, where our position is placed, where our joy comes from. I thought about this, the upside down backwardness of life and and the journey of faith. Do you realize that only in God's kingdom are we taught by Jesus to love our enemies? To pray for those who persecute us? We're told to walk by faith and not by sight. There was a barber shop. It was on Facebook, total side note. I do that a lot. Squirrel. Um, There was a, there was a, uh, there was a post on faith, Facebook, and uh, uh, it was called Walk by Faith and Not by Sight Barbershop. There's sometimes I just prefer you to keep your eyes open. Amen? You know? Like, I get the, ex- the expression of your faith, but please. I mean, I'm bald, so it really doesn't matter, but you know what I'm saying. For those of you with hair, uh, you understand. We define our faith as being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we don't see. In God's kingdom, we don't fight against enemies of flesh and blood. And the weapons of our warfare, as it says, are not carnal or are not of this world. It's 
upside down and backwards. The only thing that we're supposed to hold captive is our own thoughts. And then we're supposed to surrender those thoughts to the Lord. Upside down and backwards, right? Take no prisoners, you know. We know we can only gain victory through surrender to Jesus. And that we're most dangerous and advanced, the greatest against our enemies. When what? When we're on our knees in prayer. None of those positions make sense. It is truly upside down and backwards. How does a man like Horatio, who's gone through such horrific tragedy and heartbreak, turn all of that into a key for hope? For generations and generations to come. Listen, only God can do that. I've never seen it anywhere else in the world. 22 years I lived my life without Jesus, I never saw it anywhere. That day I gave my heart to Jesus at an altar in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, with my little Filipino grandmother. I know, long story, I'm multicultural. I'm the largest, whitest Filipino you'll ever meet. But trust me, there's chocolate in my tank. (laughs) Pastor Tony's not the only one. Mine's on its inside trying to fight its way out. I believe when I get to heaven, my dark-complected black-haired brothers will be redheads with white skin. And I will have beautiful long black locks and look like I love the sun. Until that glorious day, SPF 2 million. There we go. (laughs) You laugh, but it's true. You see, in this life we are promised, in Matthew, it said that the rains will come down. Right? The waters will rise and the winds will blow and beat against your house. Another way to say it, the rains, the pressures... Trials and tribulations of life are going to come. When that water rises, the stress levels, the fear, the worries, and the anxieties, they're going to rise up inside of you. The winds will blow against that house in your life, and the winds are often the accusations and the misunderstandings of others who don't understand you're living in an upside-down and backwards kingdom. Can anybody testify? Come on. I love Jesse's testimony the other day. Because he was saying, listen, we're going to do something great for God. And even mighty men of God and those who love them were like, are you sure you don't want to take some time? Let me go do this. People don't understand your journey because they're not living it. People who want the best for you sometimes will miss it because they don't understand that the rains that they're seeing are actually just power washing the dirt right off your car. Amen? Amen. I heard it this morning. I wasn't sure what it was in here. I'm like, oh no, Pastor Tony's gone. There's a crazy sound on the roof. I thought it was the air conditioning and it wasn't. God was just helping me wash my car for free. They won't understand the pressures that you're experiencing because some of them have never gone through that rain. And so when those waters rise, those are unsure waters and unclear waters. And so they're trying to rescue you from, which is actually allowing you to swim and be refreshed. In an attempt to be loving, they will blow all kinds of stupid in your world. Right? It's not out of an evil, wicked heart. Well, sometimes it is. But it just comes in. 
But that journey of faith tells us things are going to be different. I say this and believe this with all of my heart. My cup of pain, your cup of pain, God takes that. Remember that cup that Jesus drank from in the garden? He asked Papa, didn't he say, he said, Father, if if it's at all possible, can you let the cup pass from me? Can you let this cup of pain pass from me? Is there another way? He goes, but not my will, but your will be done. See, the cup of pain that Jesus drank in the garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross, God forged that cup into a key that set every single one of us free. Without the cross and without Jesus drinking that cup of pain, we don't have freedom life, church. We don't even have life church. We don't even have church. That's a lot. Right? Like all the things that we say we are, we print it on a t-shirt, we have it out front on a sign, we declare it. None of it is possible without that cup of pain. One guy tried to remove the cup of pain from him. His name was Peter. I like Pedro because he sometimes just opens mouth and inserts his whole leg in foot. But you can't pick on the man too much because he was the only one who walked on water, right? We like to think, oh, Peter, he started falling in the water. Dude, he walked on water. Only Peter knows what it's like to be rescued immediately by Jesus and be pulled from the waters. Yeah? Only Peter knows what it's like to say, you were, you were the Messiah, the Son of God. And, God. and Jesus himself looked at him like, what? Where'd you get that? Now, he also is the only one who realizes that, get me behind me, Satan. But it does say in the Bible that God disciplines those he loves. And if you're not disciplined, you're not loved. So, I mean, Peter was obviously loved. But it's amazing, right? It's amazing that journey. It's amazing that he understood those things. He was also the one who repented after denying Jesus rather than hanging himself like Judas. Both felt anguish for betrayal, right? Peter denied him three times, betrayed him three times. Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. One knew the restoring power of relationship with Jesus because he had been pulled from the waters. He had been told to get behind him. He had open mouth, inserted foot, and done stupid things over and over again. But he knew that the love of Jesus was greater than his failure. The other had unreasonable expectations of who Jesus was, was frustrated and depressed that he wasn't all that he wanted him to be. And as a result of the betrayal, he was overwhelmed by it and destroyed the rains had come down, the waters had rose, the winds blew and beat against their house. The difference was the foundation. The difference was the foundation. I believe with all of my heart that the cup of pain that each of us has, and we all have our own, and none can be measured by another's. Hear me. If you compare or compete, you'll live in defeat. Because you will either find yourself better than someone Or worse, both are inaccurate perceptions of yourself. One lowers someone in your eyes, and the other lowers yourself in the eyes of God. Both of those are wrong. We all have our cup of pain, and God wants to take every single one of those and turn it into a key for freedom in our lives. The passage I want to share with you this morning before I share a little bit about our journey is Isaiah 40, 28. 31. I believe this is the key to finding peace in a turbulent world. It reads like this. Have you never heard? Have you never understood? 
The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths, the young pups, will become tired and weary. And young men will fall in exhaustion. But, I love the buts in the Bible. This one's a big one. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. E-A-G-L-E-S, eagles. That cheer is so much cooler after the Super Bowl than like the decades before. Anyway, they will soar high on wings like eagles. They will, that was for you, Pastor Tony. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I love how this starts out because I've heard this from my parents and other people all my life. Boy, don't you know? Followed by what I should have known or do know but didn't pay attention to. Anybody? Anybody? You love those rhetorical questions parents asked? Yeah, I learned that really young, a rhetorical question. That's a question that someone asks you that they're not really looking for an answer to. Yeah, and that um, if you don't know the answer to it, you're like twice as in trouble. You, you, you feel me on this one? I had to drop that on my son the other day. I was like, boy, have you forgotten who I am? Literally, I said that to him. I'm like, have you forgotten who I am? I'm not one of your friends. I'm your father. So if I tell you to do something, that is neither up for debate nor questionable. Like, you're going to do that. And I giggled because I remembered it was in my message. I'm like, oh, Lord. How many times from heaven do you look down and be like, boy, have you forgotten who I am? Right? Have, sometimes you find yourself and you're like, oh, I forgot who my daddy is. Have you never understood as if I have not always taken care of you. It's really interesting in Isaiah, before that he gets to this, he talks about all the times he's brought them through and provided for them and taken care of them and restored them and, and, and brought them forgiveness and, and again and again. He goes through all like his resume of, do you remember the time when? 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 My little boy gets excited. His name is Alden. I never make promises. Unless I am 100% absolutely sure it's going to happen. I've had lots of promises broken to me. And so I don't like promises. Because someone breaks a promise to you, there's always a broken promise. I love surprises. But if I tell him I'm going to do something, I always keep my word. And he knows that. And so sometimes he'll ask me, is that a yes or a no? And I'm like, it's a, I don't know. He goes, well, is it a, I don't know yes or I don't know no? Because if I say yes, later I always get this. Daddy, you always keep your word, right? I was like, yes. Well, you said, and it'll remind me of whatever it was, get him apple juice or something like that. And I'm like, yes, sir. I remember I always keep my word. Um, as l- much as I would love to be infallible in that area, I'm a human being and, I, and I'm fallible in that area. Uh, but our F- Heavenly Father never is. And so when he says, have you not heard, do you not understand? 
this is who I am. Let me remind you real quick who I am. I love where it says, even youths become weary and weak and tired, and young men fall in exhaustion. Um, aren't you glad that even the young pups get tuckered out? Amen. It gives me more security as an old pup to know that, like, hey, even the young ones get tired, so it's okay if, like, you know, that hurts a little bit more, or if I'm a little slower, or if I forget a little bit more and have to be reminded. But I want to focus on this last section. It says, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Guys, that's upside down and backwards. If my son flew off the couch in a leaping jump, before he could either walk or run, I would be putting that on Facebook and being rich. You dig? Child comes home from the hospital and all of a sudden they're just like, I mean, Superman did that, right? And this family kept it a secret. That's us upside down and backwards. I'm like, why, why, why not put it in a better order, right? I like English. I like understanding. Why doesn't he say, you will walk first, then you will run. And then when you've got that down and you're doing really well with it, we'll see if you can fly. Well, I'd like to suggest to you, this is why. We soar, we rise up on wings like eagles because sometimes we need a perspective change. Especially when we're going through difficulty. See, eagles, what they will do is uh, they win Super Bowls, Pastor Tony. They win Super Bowls. But what eagles also do is when there's a storm, they fly above the storm. When you're in the storm, the storms are terrifying, right? The thunder's crashing, the, 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 the rain's coming down, the waters are all kinds of craziness is happening in the midst of a storm. But what an eagle will do is it'll fly above the storm. Airplanes do the same thing. They fly above the storm. When you're above the storm, when you're above the danger, when you're above the situation... You can put it into proper perspective. In our lives, we will never be able to have the proper perspective on anything unless we have God's perspective. He holds the whole world in his hand. It's not just a cute song. Right? Didn't he say, have you not heard? Don't you remember? I created everything. You, the world you're in, and everything in it. The very first thing he wants us to do so that we can survive and thrive in the midst of troubles is to have the right perspective. What kind of perspective does it give us? Well, first of all, it gives us an understanding of who he is. Have you not heard? Do you not understand? Let me tell you who I am. When we soar on wings like eagles, we get a better understanding of who God is, what his nature is, that he is always with us and he is always for us. He is never away from us, and he is never against us. Someone who is against you doesn't send their son to die on a cross for you while you're still their enemy and loving your sin. If you ever doubt God's love for you or ever think you've done too much, well, in your worst moment of your entire life, in the most nasty, horrific, my God, you would never want any of us to know, moment of your life, in that horribleness, at that very moment, God said, he's worth dying for. She's worth giving my life for. That's powerful. If I can have that perspective when I fail or when I struggle, how much he loves me, it puts everything into place. So it helps us see God for who he really is. It enables us to see ourselves for who we really are. See, I can't really understand who I am until I understand who he is. The reason why is he created me. 
we just went to the, the Fine Arts Festival up at Penn State. And it was amazing. And we have to see all kinds of crazy, amazing, glorious pieces of art and people's talents. And you're just like, whoa, that's wild. But I couldn't walk up to an artist and tell them, oh, that is obviously a teapot. And the dude's, I'm pretty sure that's a clock. Oh, no, 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 no. See, from my perspective, it's a teapot. So it must be a teapot. And the artist is like, I don't drink tea. And I didn't make a pot. Like, that's a clock. Tick tock, tick tock. See, the designer, the author, the creator gets to determine what it is. Yeah? So when I have a perspective of God for who he is, I can understand who I am. Because he tells me who I am. Right? It's who I am. It's who I am. It's not just a line in the song. Yeah? Because it's who you are. Who you are. Who you are. Thank you, worship team. You guys are amazing. So it helps me see God for who he is. It enables me to see myself for what I am. And then it empowers us to see others as he sees them. How many of y'all are annoyed by people? <laughs> it's church. You can't lie. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, some, some of y'all sit next to the person who annoys you the most. My wife's staring at the guy who annoys her the most. Praise the Lord. It's true. It's true. I take great pride in knowing that no one can make my wife feel all emotions to the most that they can be felt. I make her feel happy more than anyone else on the planet can make her feel happy. I make her feel sad more than anyone. I can make her feel frustrated. Luckily for me, I can also make her laugh, which gets me a lot of out of the frustrated parts. Sometimes she like doesn't want to laugh, but then like she can't help herself. I think I'm a little more trouble at that point, but I know it's going to be end soon. <laughs> Testify. <laughs> but it empowers us to see others as who they are. My niece recently went on a, on a mission trip to uh, the Atlanta Dream Center. When you see people living in poverty, it changes you. You can hear about it from afar, but when that person becomes an actual face that you've actually seen with your own two eyes, it becomes hands that you've actually touched with your own hands, it becomes different. That's why I hate social media sometimes, because it dehumanizes all of us, even though it's trying to humanize us through being social. But what it really does is take the, because no one would say those things to people that they're seeing. Am I right? I mean, unless you're like an absolute jerk of the universe, it is very, and I'm talking like people who horribly annoy you. It is very difficult to look at someone and say you have absolutely no value, especially if you're a child of God. The dude on the cross next to Jesus was there for a reason. That wasn't an accident. Jesus was the innocent ones. The other two guys were guilty. And the son of God who's being killed for being the son of God and sinless, looks at a guy and says, hey, it's not too late for you, buddy. The people who were killing him and nailing him to the cross, he said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Are you catching that? You can only do that when you have God's perspective because other than that, people are just annoying. I used to always say church would be great except for the people. You all giggle like nervously, like, oh, he doesn't like us. No, it's just true. <laughs> right? An emergency room is a nasty place. 
Churches are nasty places. It's full of broken people. The great thing about an emergency room when you need it and you're busted up is that they'll fix you temporarily. The greatest thing about a church is this is where broken people and dead people come to come back to life and heal forever. If we don't have some junk to wipe up after a service, who are we ministering to? People will become less annoying when you realize that Jesus died for them. And that actually means something to you. But you can't do that without the right perspective. When we get this, we're ready to run. Now, I know we went from soaring to running. Like, how are you going to run? You don't even walk yet, bro. It's very difficult. Outside of Jesus, but because it's part of the sermon illustration, here we go. Run. We run the race he gave us. And we fight the good fight. Soaring gives us a perspective. Running reminds us of our purpose. You will live your life differently when you're living for somebody else. What did you spend your money on before she came along, boys? You never knew how important dinner, flowers, and cologne were when you're hanging out with the bros. At that point, it's like, you know, motorcycles, cars, and guns, praise God. Now, I'm not saying that those aren't still important once you get married. I'm just saying you have less money to spend on them. Right? When you realize your purpose, things change. When it's all about you, it's different. But when you realize you know, there's a purpose outside of just you and your wants, things change. So what is that race he's called you to race? What is that fight that he's called you to fight? That's why we're alive. Listen, I want to talk to all the saints who are older than 44. Okay, so I'm 44. So if you're older than 44, that means you could be 45. You could be 145. I don't know. If you are still breathing... It could be labored. It could be with oxygen. I don't care. If you're on this side of eternity, there is still a purpose and a destiny for your life. Hear me. There is still a purpose and a destiny for your life. When he is done with you, you go home. Some of the most powerful women of prayer I've ever met in my life were clearly in the 65 and over crowd. Why? Because they had enough testimony to know that they weren't doing it. That it had to be some Jesus. And so they prayed powerfully. They believed powerfully. They were great women of faith. Thank you, grandmas. Without you, most of us would not be here. Am I right? Our purpose and our destiny, guys, we have to have the perspective of who God is, who we are and who others are. That reminds us, I'm here. I have something to do. He wants to use me in some way. I don't know about you, but I've fought a lot of bad fights. Remember that girl I was talking about who I can make feel happier, make feel fun? I have fought a lot of bad fights. A lot of stupid ones. Normally they were all based on me and my inconvenience or, or my lack of appreciation of something I should have appreciated. Or remembrance of something I should have remembered. Normally it's the latter. Okay? Mm, preach it. But when we have a heavenly perspective, we fight good fights. What are the good fights? What is the purpose of your life? Listen to me. It's not just about preachers. I get to be blessed to share the word of God, study the word of God, and try to live out the word of God the best I can. But do you realize you're supposed to do that too? This is the pep rally for your week. This is not your only meal of the week. I'm not a chef. The best I will ever give you is milkshake. means I'll take all the ingredients and spit them out. 
right? This isn't like, this isn't the buffet where you gorge yourself and then you try to go six days. Anyone ever try to do that? Eat one day out of seven? That's a little difficult. There's these things called hunger pangs. Yeah, that's God saying, hey, stupid, eat the word, you know? It was a good message, but it wasn't that good. Listen, when we have a heavenly perspective, we fight good fights. What fight should you be fighting? Fighting for your relationship with God. You can't know him if you don't read his word. You can't. He wrote down who he is, how he is, and all about himself in here. If you want to know him, you got to get into the word, right? If you're going to get into the word, you want to talk to him. You ever try to have a relationship with someone you don't talk to? That's creepy. You end up on like the news when you have a relationship with someone in your mind who you don't talk to. Oh, they love me. If they don't know you, they don't love you, bro. That's creepy. Okay. Try to have a healthy marriage and never talk to your spouse. That doesn't work. Now, let me give you a free part of advice. This is not part of the message. If they don't want to talk to you, maybe you should leave them alone. I'm not saying I do that badly. I just do that often. Just saying. But you got to be in his word. You got to know him. You got to fight for that relationship. You got to spend time with him. Coming to church is a great way to spend time with him. Why? Because you're spending time with the things that he cares about and the people that he loves. The best part about coming to church is the pep rally to take it somewhere else. You don't come to hear the word not to do anything with it. You come to word to apply it. Get out there. Do something with it, man. There's somebody out there who doesn't know Jesus' love today. If you go to a restaurant today and you get served by a waitress and you don't tip at least 15%, I say you're in sin. And that doesn't matter if the service is good or bad. Our whole life should be a blessing to someone, right? If you're too cheap to tip, don't go out to eat. The tip is grace, right? It is unmerited favor. You hear me? Do you want to watch Jesus do someone something in somebody's life? Be a Christian who goes out on a Sunday and doesn't cause a problem. Be a Christian who goes out on Sunday and says to your waitress before they serve you, hey, before we order our food and we do anything else, uh, we want to let you know that uh, we're going to pray for our food. Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Can I tell you there was one time I was rejected on that? Once, And you know what happened? They told somebody else and they came and asked for prayer. If I had a buck for every time, a waitress started breaking down and crying. Because a lot of people, that's their second or third jobs. Right? And their job is to serve. They are a server. Don't tip Jesus. Tithe, right? Don't tip, tithe. Can you imagine the Son of God coming in here? preparing communion for you, and you're like, thanks. Leave the table trashed and don't give a tip? That's, gosh. Total side note, but that irritates me. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, a relationship with God. That's a good fight. Fighting for our purpose and our destiny, remembering that no matter who you are or where you are, what you're going through, you have a purpose and a destiny. And that is from the youngest child in this room to the oldest person in this room. Everyone has a purpose and a destiny. Everyone. The only way you discover that is to have the right perspective. Then when he gives you your race, run your race. 
We're supposed to fight for one another. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, he loved us sacrificially, completely, totally, and in spite of ourselves. So you must love one another sacrificially, servantly, in spite of each other. Right? Completely, totally dedicated. We fight for those who can't fight for themselves. The lost should not be our problem because they are not our enemy. The lost should be our opportunity because Jesus died for them. When people's sin becomes so frustrating and inconvenient to you that you can no longer love them, you are no longer being like Jesus. Hear me clearly on this, and you guys can fire me because it's, it's been recent. If someone's sin is so disgusting to you that you can no longer love that person, are you being like Jesus? What sin doesn't make sense outside of Jesus? Because all sin at its core is to try to make ourselves happy, right? Think on it. Every sin that you can commit is for the purpose of yourself, making yourself feel good. And if you don't have Jesus in your life, there's nothing to make you feel good. There's nothing to help you know who you are and that you have a purpose and a destiny. So all sin makes sense outside of Jesus. It's only when you have his perspective that sin is put into its proper perspective, right? And you're like, this is killing me. This is not giving me life. When I'm busy being angry at God, myself, or others, I cannot run. When I am busy trying to run other people's races, I cannot run. If I tried to run Sammy's race, first of all, that would be a comical air of horribleness. If you wanted me to come up here and dance for you, (laughs) you'd all put that on Facebook and it'd be bad, all right? That is not my race. It's not my race. For you guys who are mechanics or engineers in the room, that's not my race. You don't want me to design anything for you and you surely don't want me to fix it for you. You want me to pray for you while you're doing it or hold something for you or grab something for you, I'm your guy. But that's not my race. So many of us are frustrated because we're running other people's races. Stop it. I can't run my race when I'm trying to run somebody else's. When my perspective is right and I'm ready, willing, and able to run the race God has given me, I'm empowered by walking it out. This is the last one. Walk. So first we soar because we need a parade perspective. Then we run with the purpose that he has given us. And then we walk it out, which means we're going to be empowered. And I'm going to, real quick, listen, Acts 2, 42 and 43. The early church devoted themselves to four things. Our youth ministry is devoted to four things. The apostles teaching the Bible, the word of God. It empowers my life. It teaches me how to live it. It encourages me for it and shares stories of others who have done it and those who have not. If I want to know him, I have to read his words. I have to. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Listen, in church, we should be building open, honest, spiritually encouraging relationships. We don't come to this place to be discouraged by one another. We come to this place to be encouraged by one another. Now, sometimes encouragement feels like a swift kick in the butt, especially when you're being stupid. If I'm doing something stupid and you don't help me stop being stupid, you don't really like me. Because you're either entertained by what I'm doing for your own pleasure, right? Or annoyed by my very presence, which means I don't have any value. Neither are the heart of Jesus. 
So building that open, honest, spiritually encouraging relationship is necessary to walk it out. They also devoted themselves to breaking of bread. And breaking of bread in the Bible is really interesting because we think about communion that we had last week, right? But at these communions, they just didn't have like the juice in the cup and the, you know, you got the little wafer that doesn't really taste super awesome. And then you're like, gosh, please, Lord, uh, let there be enough juice to wash that little wafer out of my, so I'm, for the whole service, you feel me? In the Bible times, when they had communion, they'd have like a love feast. A love feast is where everyone brought something to the love feast. In Pennsylvania, we call them potlucks. Praise the Lord. Don't forget church picnic coming on. You have a love feast and everyone would bring some stuff. And there were some people who would have to come who didn't have any stuff to bring. And they wouldn't even have any stuff. And so the people who had more stuff brought more stuff so that everyone could have some stuff. That breaking of bread, that word Eucharisto is used for the Eucharist, which is used for communion. But it's saying we're sharing so that no one is without. We're sharing the love of Jesus so that nobody is without. We're ignoring their sin. Well, you just got to call sin, sin. Yeah, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. The world stood condemned already. Those lost in sin are like people who are drowning. You're drowning. You're drowning. Hey, you're going to drown. Didn't wear life vest. Don't know why you're even here. You're going to die. It's literally berating the drowning person going, if I were you, I would have worn a life vest. You should have learned to swim. You know, we've got instructors for that. Jesus could have taught you to swim. Now you're going to drown. Yeah. And you know what sin does? You know what sin does? It's going to kill you. You're going to hell. Is any of that inaccurate? No, it's all accurate. They're still going to die. Your purpose, because of your perspective, is to get them out of the water. Listen, if you're one of that first kind of people and you ever see me in the water, please just keep walking by. Even if I am drowning, just keep walking by and hopefully you'll find someone you'll be like, hey, that kid needs help. All right? Guys, what are we doing, right? We got to walk it out. Thankfulness and serving. And the last thing they devoted themselves to was prayer. My wife's and my journey has been crazy, and I'm over, but it's all good. Oh, actually, I'm all right. My wife's and my journey has been crazy, kind of like Horatio's. Like, how can you go through stuff and then, like, good things happen as a result of it? Um, our journey is not a whole lot different than some of yours. And like I said, hear me before I say this. Each of us has our own cup of pain. Each of us has our own journey, okay? They're all different. He likes variety. They're all unique. Sometimes in life, we're lucky enough for our journeys to collide August 1st. We're lucky enough for our journeys to collide for a little bit. What happens when the collision happens? Just like with two vehicles, it leaves them both marked and different forever. Right? Like the car facts on my life is like, whoa, there was a lot of collisions. I was born May 2nd, 1974. No, no, I'm not going to go that far back. My whole life changed March 24th, 1996, when I went to an altar in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and gave my life to Jesus. After that, I went to Bible college, to Valley Forge Christian College. That's where we met Pastor Tony and Pastor Alicia. It's interesting how our, our worlds collided. We had no idea, say years later, that we would collide again, right? But God knows what he's doing. When I went to Valley Forge... 
I fell in love with Jesus. At that altar, I promised I'd serve him for the rest of my life, no matter where he told me to go, no matter when he told me to go. I would never question him. I would just go. Now, in my favor, we've got a lot of Marines in our family, okay? We're like a big military family. And so not asking questions, just doing what you're told, we get that real well. And so when I was like, well, Jesus, you're like, you're better, the best Marine ever. Like, I can just follow you no matter where you want me to go, and it's going to be great. That was sincere and as deep as that commitment was. I didn't understand how that would flesh out. I just knew I was going to make that commitment. We go to Valley Forge. We meet Pastor Tony and Pastor Alicia. I meet my beautiful wife, Amanda. We start our journey together. We pastored my professor's children at our very first church. Uh, Eventually, we got to South Carolina, uh, where uh, my journey collided with Sammy. We were at a very large church. It was a couple of thousand people. We had a couple hundred teenagers. I threw a conference uh, called The Outpouring, and I had this special guest Puerto Rican preacher. His name was Tony Cruz. Yes, it was beautiful. Tony, unannounced to me, had brought a friend along, Sammy, who had married into the family. You see how crazy all these little journeys, side journeys are? So Sammy comes along, and I find out that Sammy dances for the Lord. And I'm like, we need to do something with that. We need to pray over that. Like, that's the ministry that God's given her in her life. Like, we need to do something. So with my little girl, Katie, who was not little, I mean, she was little then. She was in my arms. She was only a couple years old. With her in my arms, we prayed over Sammy and had our teenagers pray over Sammy for the, the journey that God was taking her on and the ministry that he was giving her. Things were great. Church was exploding. Conference was awesome. We're praying for people. And then the Lord gave me a word. He says, Christian, uh, we got pregnant again. And he says, Christian, your next step of your journey is going to be like the pregnancy. And I was like, boom. All right, God, I'm having a boy. (laughs) What? First pregnancy was easy. Well, I mean, I didn't have the baby, but it was easy. My wife didn't have any like sicknesses or anything. Like she liked red meat during that time. I'm like, let's go have a steak. It It was great. Right? Our daughter was born beautiful. The, the blue eyes, the red hair, like a gorgeous little thing. Didn't cry much. As a baby, we could take her to worship practice and she'd sleep. I was like, listen, God, I don't know what these other parents are doing, but obviously they're not as anointed as we are. Because for our first time out, we've got this down. And then there was Alden. Pregnancy was a little more tumultuous uh, on the delivery. Uh, they were like, congratulations, it's a boy. And I'm like, yeah. And then it got real cold in the room. Like, you ever been like, like that awkward moment? Like, everything's like, yeah, this is great. And everyone's like, oh. And they're like, Mr. Bowers, I need to step out in the hall. I was like, I got a boy. A nurse literally took my son in her arms and ran out the doors down towards the NICU. Simultaneously, they're asking me to back away from the door because they're about to roll my wife into emergency surgery. She was massively bleeding. The boy wasn't breathing. Things are going wrong. I'm, I'm sitting in a hallway with those horribly cool-looking like doctor things when you're not a doctor, but you're the dad in the room. I'm sitting in a chair... I catch the end of a nurse taking my child. I see my wife literally through the doors of the ER getting rolled into an operating room. And I said, God, I have no idea what's happening. I was so overwhelmed with emotion. I didn't feel any of them. 
All I could say was, God, I don't, I don't even know if to be afraid or not. So I'm going to trust you. I know you. I'm just going to trust you. Obviously, Amanda sang this morning, so she lived. <laughs> um, but she, there was a lot of complications. She had massive bleeding, and she had a huge blood clot, and all kinds of crazy stuff. The boy was in uh, the NICU for a couple of days. It was going to be forever till Amanda even got to see our son. I think it was like 8 or 12 hours before we ever even got to see him. And the only reason she, he got to see him because this total hippie chick, nurse, she was like in her 60s, and she didn't care. Mother needs to see her baby. <laughs> So she broke the kid out of the NICU, rolled him down in this like incubator from God. And then, look, here's your baby. And I was like, thank you. Um, rolled the baby back out. Wife got to see him. I'm like, did you see him? He looks beautiful. And uh, um, it was just wild. And we're like, God, like, what? so the next step in our journey is going to be what? We had helped that youth church heal from past hurts, grow, thrive. Love was excited. We had rebuilt the walls of righteousness. We had, we had revived the hope in their lives. We had restored some of the remnant of the kids who had fallen away and have come back. And we were receiving an outpouring of blessing um, in our altars, in our pulpit. Everything was it just God was doing amazing things in the church and our teenagers. And the Lord's like, you're going to step away. And I'll be honest with you. I was like, that's awesome. Super mega church is coming. Honestly, I'm like, what else can you do? We're already at a huge church. It's going to be gigantic. And uh, so for three months, we had an incredible severance package. For three months, God said, don't touch it. Don't make a phone call. Don't do anything. Just trust me. If you don't, if you don't you're going you're gonna to mess this up. And so I'm like, I'm not messing up. Awesome. <laughs> so for three months, we, we came home. We enjoyed family. It was amazing. Uh, we came home for Thanksgiving. I told Amanda, I said, listen, babe, when we get back to South Carolina after Thanksgiving, God's going to tell us what we're going to do. I am so excited. I felt it in my heart, in my prayer time. I was like, he's going to tell me what to do. Phone's going to ring. God's going to tell me what to do. We get into our apartment. The phone rings. I'm like, boom, yes. And it's my friend, Steven, who owns a tire and battery store in Columbia, South Carolina. And he's like, hey, bro, what you doing today? I'm like, nothing. Just waiting for God to shower my life with awesome. Hoping that he's going to take me to lunch or something. And uh, he's like, hey, uh, my driver, I lost my driver today. And I need a driver. I'm like, where do you want to go? He's like, no, nah, like not me, driver. I need someone to help us to pick up tires and parts and take customers back to work while their cars are being worked on. I'm like, well, I am not a mechanic, bruh. Like, can't help. He goes, no, no, no. Literally, you just pick up things and put them down. And you drive people to where they're going and come back. And I'm like, okay. So I rummaged through my closet, found some cool work boots, a pair of jeans. Down I was going. I'm like, this is cool. I get to help Steven today. Almost two and a half years later, still driving that truck, spending most of my day by myself. And if any of you know me, that's not cool. But I learned something amazing. I learned what a godly Christian businessman looks like. Um, my brother, Stephen, um, isn't a guy who happens to be a Christian who owns a business. He is a Christian business owner. Everything he does glorifies the Lord. He is changing Columbia spiritually, one tire and oil change at a time. By the way, he runs his business, 
by the way, he trains his employees to, to not only uh, serve God, uh, but to use their uh, blessings for the Lord's kingdom. It is amazing. It, it just literally transformed my heart. And for the first time, I was out of the church. And I got to see how people were doing things. It was incredible. Um, then I had a massive heart attack. Actually, I was having several massive heart attacks over a long period of time. And I should have been dead. In my heart catheterization, I woke up. The doctor telling a bunch of uh, medical students, there's no reason this man's alive. Can't tell you why. Came into my room later, says, look, and I don't know what you believe, but somebody up there loves you because there's no reason why you're alive. This is what we're going to do to keep you alive, but we don't know why you are. For six months, I couldn't work or pick up more than a half a gallon of milk. Had a newborn kid. Couldn't play with him. I just hate money. Don't touch daddy. It was wretched. When you can't work, you can't earn money, right? Literally, people who we administered to a decade before at camps in Pennsylvania were sending us checks in the mail saying, this is for your rent. Please consider the ravens. In the Bible, where Elijah takes a day's journey into the wilderness, God sends the ravens to feed him because he couldn't do it for himself. After about six, eight months of that, I got a phone call from a friend who was leaving a youth ministry in New Jersey and going to a church in Ohio and said, you should apply for my job in New Jersey. I was like, "Mm, not a big New Jersey fan. I said, but I'll do it anyway. Um, I'm a Second Amendment fan, so Jersey's a little difficult. But I was like, I'll do it anyway. And uh, uh, we applied to the church, but the pastor was looking for a young guy, and I was not young. So a couple of months later, the the young man who had called me, um, who was actually uh, a teenager in college when I was pastoring, uh, and um, outside of Philadelphia by our, our university, says, hey, I don't think I can pay you, um, but would you come and minister here? And I started laughing because I'm like, God, for six months, you've taken care of every bill in our lives. We didn't miss a bill. We didn't miss a meal. Everything's been taken care of. By the way, I didn't have health insurance when I had my heart attack. So $385,000 surgery, a lady walked into my room on Easter morning and said, hey, I hear you're a pastor. I said, well, yeah. I said, I'm currently driving a truck, but I'm a pastor. And she goes, well, we have a Christian charity here. Um, the nurses have all raved about, you know, the way you treat them when you come in here. And so we just want to take care of your medical bills. And I'm thinking like, okay, what's that mean? She goes, you just need to sign here and sign here, uh, and we'll come back to you. $385,000 of my heart surgery, 100% taken care of. They paid for my, yeah. They paid for my medicine for a year. Some crazy expensive medicines that you have to be on after a heart attack. They paid for my medicines for a year. They paid for my rehab. They paid for everything. Um, I didn't even know them. I didn't even know to ask for them. God just sent them. Consider the ravens. Um, When you go on journeys like that, and you see God do crazy things like that, it is not hard when someone says, I can't provide for you, but I need you. To say, okay. Because I know that you won't be providing for me anyway. Jesus will. I would never have gone to that church in Ohio straight from Christian life in Columbia, South Carolina. It would have been the dumbest, most illogical journey of my life. So what Jesus did is he humbled me, literally. He took me through a journey that proved to me that when there was nothing I could do, he was more than enough. So from that church in Ohio, we went down to South Carolina to help people who live in low-income housing and minister to them. And uh, the 501c3 was still kind of in the developmental stages. And so we were like, Lord, I think you're calling us back to Pennsylvania. 
um, we're going to come back to Pennsylvania. So we moved into my parents' basement, or my in-laws' basement uh, in uh, Penn's Creek. If you guys don't know where that's at, it's that way. And uh, uh, we're just trusting in the Lord. We came here for, we've been here for a while, by the way. We were sitting in the back over there because uh, I love Pastor Tony and Pastor Alicia. And I trust them and, and I'm happy to sit under their leadership. So we, that's, we were just coming to church when we heard about the whole transition. And uh, I said to Amanda, I'm like, babe, I don't believe in coincidences. Do you think this is what God is calling us to do? And so we did our diligence. We set on our resumes everywhere. And I said, Lord, I want you to close every door supernaturally that no man, woman, or ourselves can open and only leave open the door that you want to leave open. And guys, uh, today is my second Sunday as your associate and youth pastor. God does cool things. God does cool things. Um, I know I've got a little long. Uh, I just want to encourage you with this. Um, you don't know where the journey is going to take you. Uh, it may seem like your journey is as wild as putting your family on a steamer and everything goes badly. But he may very well use that cup of pain to set other people free. See, God hasn't brought us here just because of our skills, talents, and abilities. He's called us here for such a time as this because at this moment, our journey needs to collide with your journey so that in the end, none of us are left the way we arrived. And that all of us, because of Jesus in us, are more like him. That's amazing. My friend wrote this on Facebook. Like I said, I'm not a big social media fan, but my friend wrote this and it just rocked me to the core. And so I want to read it to you and then I want to pray for you. The path behind us tells a story. You can lament it, regret it, rejoice in it, or celebrate it. But we cannot change it. It may be beautiful, romantic, painful, dark, or any wonderful complex arrangement. The point is, it's already been told and already been lived. The past cannot change. But the previous chapters of your story, the previous days of your journey do not have to determine the chapter you're in right now or the journey that lies ahead. Hear me. The pain of your past may very well be the key to freedom for yourself and someone else right now. The greatest thing about God's mercy being new every morning is this. If I wasn't the man of God that I wanted to be just a moment ago, I can choose to be right now. I can't do that in my own strength. I can't do that. You know why? Because young dudes grow weary and stumble and fall. It just happens, even to the youngest of us. And those days for me are gone. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength or be given new strength. They will soar and have God's perspective, a heavenly perspective. They will run and know their purpose and fight the good fights. They will walk an empowered life, which means diving into the word of God, building relationships with the family of God. 
Being thankful for what we have had, what we have been through. Some of us had to work through it. Most of us were pulled through it. Come on, anybody? I've been pulled through a lot more than I've worked through. But when we are thankful and joyful, and we have that perspective, and we know that purpose, and now we're joyful, we are willing to help others along the way. How does all that get held together? Through prayer. God, not my will, but your will be done. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you trust people like Horatio to experience such things. God, I thank you that his relationship with you, though his heart was broken, though his emotions were a mess, and rightfully so, he knew out of tragedy you would pull mercy and grace. So he wrote the words, it is well with my soul. It was not well with his emotions. It was not well with his family. It was not well what happened. But it was well with his soul. Knowing that in spite of all that he had gone through. And all that they were going to go through. You are faithful. God, because we're upside down and backwards, we know this is not our home. As believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus, we know we're just passing through. For the heroes in in Hebrews 11, they were looking forward to their real home, whose city and architect was God. God, our home is with you. Here on earth, we're passing through. But we can pass through in an amazing way if we will have a heavenly perspective. Understand who you are. By doing so, understand who we are. And then seeing others for who you've created them to be. God, our journey will be miraculous if we run the race that you've given us. Not somebody else, but our own race. Not distracted by everything else that's going on around us, but running our own race and fighting good fights. Fighting for our relationship with you. Fighting for our relationship with others. Fighting for those who can't fight for themselves. Fighting to be a blessing to those in need. God, the only way we can run the race, the only way we can have that perspective is if we're able to and willing to walk with you every day. There's another old beautiful hymn that says he walks with me and he talks with me. Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to know your word. Not just know about it, but we want to know it. We want to experience it. We want to live it. We want relationships that give us life and we want to be a relationship for others that brings life to them. Help us to be full of thanksgiving for all that you've already done and all that you've already brought us through and your promise and commitment to never leave us, but you will always be with us 
and you will always be for us, regardless of whether the rains are coming down, the waters are rising, or the winds are blowing against our house and life. Lord, we know that prayer is the key that holds it all together. Lord, there are some in this room today who the storm is raging. Whether it's a medical issue, a a relational issue, a physical issue. uh, God, whether it's a financial issue. I don't know what the issues are, but we have plenty of them. There is someone here in this room who needs to know today that you are with them and you are for them. God, help them to soar and have your perspective. When they have that, Lord, help them run the race that you have given them. And in doing so, walk out this beautiful journey that you've allowed us all to be a part of because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone in this room today who's like, you know what? I'm not on a journey with Jesus because I've never welcomed them into my life. I pray right now for that person or persons that they would begin a journey with you. There is nothing we can do that would cause you to love us any more or any less. There is not one sinner on this planet, not one person lost in the depravity of sin who you are not willing to reach down into their mess and pull them out because you love them. How else can we be saved? There is no other way. Encourage us, Lord. I'm thankful for the journey that we're on. I'm thank you for, for incredible leadership with Pastor Tony and Pastor Alicia to walk with Faith and Sammy, all the leaders of this church, the board members. I'm thankful for that, Lord. Help us all share with Lewisburg and the surrounding area the freedom that we have because of Jesus. Not because we're special, but because you are. I love you. I love you. I love you. Bless us as we leave today. Convict anyone who doesn't want to tip well on their waitress. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.